0: Amen. Yeah, you can be seated. Good morning, Life Church. Yeah, It's good to welcome you with us this morning. Thanks to the one person who responded to that. You're my favorite person in the room right now. Um, if we don't know one another, my name is James Sharp. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, if you're in the room or if you're online with us, we're just glad that you are with us today on this Lord's Day. Um, my privilege this morning is introducing to you uh, the young man who's going to preach for us this morning. Um, and to just kind of help us understand why he is going to preach for us this morning. Um, Hunter White uh, interned with us over the summer. He'll tell us a little bit more about that in a few moments, I know. Um, but while he was with us uh, serving this summer, we agreed that it would be um, good to give him an opportunity to open God's Word before the people of Life Church on a Sunday morning. And we kind of circled today on the calendar a long time ago, and so he's going to continue walking through Philippians with us this morning. But um, I just wanted to share a few words about why it's so critical for us to invite young men like Hunter into a space like this one. Um, And I thought I'd let the Apostle Paul kind of shape that. And so these are two verses, the first two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul, he's writing to Timothy, his young protege in the ministry, and he says... You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I just want you to hang on to those last couple of phrases there. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. And when when Paul says that, he means the gospel. He says, the truths about Christ and Christ crucified that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. What is young Timothy supposed to do with those truths? He is supposed to entrust them to faithful men. In the Greek there, men and women. Entrust them to faithful men and women who will be able to then teach them to others also. I just want you to think about the generations that are in view in that one statement. Right? You have Paul near the very end of his life, speaking to young Timothy. And he's saying to young Timothy, his protege, these gospel truths that you've received from me, entrust them to other people who will be able to then teach them to others also. And so really we say four generations in that one verse. And there's a critical mission for every church in that statement, isn't there? The gospel, it's the most precious thing that we have as a church. Like we could lose everything else, but hold on to the gospel and we would say we have enough, right? That's what we need in order to be a church, right? We need the word of God, which culminates in the message that God saves sinners through Jesus. That's the most priceless treasure that we have. How do we steward that treasure? And how do we make sure that that treasure continues and endures for the generations that will come after us? Well, we entrust it to faithful people who will then teach others also after them. And so that's why it's so critical for us to give a young man like Hunter who uh, feels the Lord calling him to pastoral ministry opportunities to preach the gospel because that's just one of the ways that we can entrust this message that we have received to him knowing then that he will teach others also in the generations ahead. And every single one of us we're in the room today because people who came before us have obeyed this command from Paul. Right? Every single one of us were here because other people were, were handed the gospel message and then they taught it to us. And so we just need to recognize that as a church, one of the best things we can do, one of the most critical things we can do for the sake of the gospel is to hand it to others who are equipped and trained to then teach others also. And so that's what we get to celebrate with Hunter this morning. I'm going to pray for Hunter and then we'll welcome him to the stage. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the priceless treasure that is the good news that through your son, Jesus, you save sinners like us. We praise you for that message. And we pray that you would allow us to treasure it rightly in our lives and in our church. With that in mind, God, we pray that you would use Hunter this morning to clearly proclaim that very message to us in Philippians chapter 2, we pray that you would give us um, ears that are attuned to your words, to your voice. We pray that you would give us hearts that are soft to what you are doing through your word in our lives today. And we pray that we would care far more about the message of the gospel than we ever care about a messenger of the gospel. So just give us, give us spirits that are eager to hear and respond to it today. Help Hunter now as he comes. Give him clarity and boldness and power through your spirit as he preaches. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Life Church, welcome Hunter White with me, if you will.
1: Thank you guys so much uh, for being here this morning. It is an absolute privilege to be worshiping alongside you guys this morning, whether you're meeting with us in church this morning or whether you're meeting with us online it's good to have you here Uh, so i'll repeat a few things that pastor james just said Uh, first thing is i'm hunter white the guy he's talking about Uh, i guess my official title for the day would be former intern of life church which is completely fine that is a amazing title to have because this past summer For a few months, I was able to work alongside the amazing men and women who are on staff here and who are also serving on the elder board. Uh, And I just got to really uh, get a good glimpse of what ministry looks like, what ministry looks like in 2020. Uh, But then I also just got the chance to be reinvigorated. I got to have such amazing lessons be poured into me uh, and just really helped to shape uh, just a new perspective of ministry. And I'm even more excited today because I get to continue on in the book of Philippians where we last left off. Uh, This has been the book that we've been going through as a church for the past few weeks. Uh, So if you have your Bibles or your tablets, phones, whatever it may be, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 30 today. Uh, So it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. And so while you guys are flipping there, if you don't know who I am or if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting just yet, I just want to give you guys a few uh, tidbits and facts about myself. Uh, The first thing is that I'm married to my lovely wife, Caitlin, who's supporting me today. Uh, We've been married for three years as of this November, which is incredible. I'm surprised she's put up with me for this long. Uh, We have one dog so far together. His name is Bucky. He is a two-year-old tri-colored corgi. He does absolutely nothing except steal my socks and all other pieces of clothing and knickknacks around the house, but yet I give him all the praise in the world for doing absolutely nothing. And the last thing is that uh, over the past six years, I've had the pleasure of attending Liberty University to study ministry. Uh, For my undergraduate program, I went and studied pastoral leadership. And then I transitioned on into my master's program and studied pastoral counseling with the focus of marriage and family studies. Uh, so if anyone needs any counseling, I'm super cheap. Uh, but it was through my master's program that I was able to get connected with Life Church, and I was able to serve alongside of the men and women here, like I just said. And so it's kind of funny. It's a little bit ironic that I'm up here this Sunday, because if you were to tell a young hunter about 12 or 14 years ago... ...that he would be up here on this stage in November of 2020, he would have felt a variety of different feelings. Uh, He would have already been nervous, even though he would have had 12 or 14 years to prepare. He would have been kind of, he would have found it very funny, and also he would have been dumbfounded. Uh, And the reason for that is because uh, growing up, I went to church, and my mom was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, So I went to church. It was only an hour, but I still went but I didn't really have that great of a relationship with the church. I just went because I was told to go. I remember one Sunday when I was really young, I tried to get out of going to church and I asked my parents if I could stay home, to which they replied, you can, but you have to do your homework. And so I was like, well, that's a reason enough for me to go to church, I'll just go. And then as I got older and I started going, or as I was into my middle school, intermediate school years, uh, my reasons for church actually increased from just not wanting to do my homework to three very important ones that I found at the time. Uh, The first being that if I knew that any of my friends were going to church, I would tag along with them. I'd want to socialize with them. I'd want to goof off, play games, not really listen to the sermon, but say that we did anyways. Uh, The second thing is if I knew there was going to be any type of food at church, whether that be pizza, a potluck, whatever it may be, I was going to be there kind of early with my fork and knife in hand, just ready to chow down. And finally, uh, the most important reason that I had for going to church at the time was if I knew that there was going to be a cute girl that was going, uh, Jesus was my number one guy immediately. I loved going to church. I had been going to church all my life, and who doesn't like going to church? And so I didn't realize that at the time, I was going to church just for me. You know, I tried to seek out the things that I thought would bring me the most happiness in church, the things that would fill me up the most, and so I didn't realize I was doing that. I didn't realize that I wasn't pouring back into the church or the community that was pouring into me at the time, and after I accepted Christ and I began that relationship with him and I moved on into my high school and college years, I started going to church for very different reasons. I started to go because I saw how beneficial it would be for my spiritual growth, how I could grow with the people around me, how I could learn from the leaders who were pouring into me. But through all those seasons and through all those different circumstances, I continually had to ask myself a very important question, and I'll ask this to you guys as well. But what keeps me and what keeps us coming back to church each week, and why do we want to be a part of it? You know, is it for some of the same reasons that I listed? Is it because your friends ask you to come along each week and you figure, yeah, I can kill an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, don't really have anything else to do? Or maybe you are trying to find a date. You know, maybe this is the first place you're looking or maybe the last place you're looking for a person who will bring you happiness. Or maybe you just kind of feel obligated to go because your parents brought you to church when you were younger and you feel like that's a good tradition that you need to continue with yours. Or maybe it's a cultural thing. You know, growing up in North Carolina and growing up in the Bible Belt community, it's a very common question to be asked of, you know, what church do you go to? How long have you been going there? Do you serve in your church? Or, you know, who's the pastor? And if you don't have an immediate response to any of these questions, you kind of look bad and you kind of have to make up a story or you have to make up a lie on the spot. You see, we often fall into this trap sometimes of religious consumerism. And what I mean by that is that we often try to shop around for a good church. We try and find a church or a place of worship where maybe the music's good. You know, maybe you were growing up listening to hymns all your life and you want some drums, you want more bass in your music, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you want to go back to hymns. Or maybe it's that the preaching is good. You know, you don't really feel
0: that guilty when you leave. You always feel really encouraged. church this week because it kind of has that same feeling. And we then leave
1: that church. We then leave that community that we stuck ourselves in for a time. And we just repeat that process again of trying to find a new church that will give us a good feeling whenever we go. And so that's why I'm really excited to get into this passage today because I believe that Paul is going to show us why it is vital that every believer in the church and every member that comes in needs to become an active member. Because it's not only our responsibility as Christ followers, but it's a granted gift that we have from God that we may not often appreciate. So let's go ahead and look at our passage for today, guys. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, in your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Yes. Father God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and to worship alongside the men and women who are in church right now. We pray that God that we would just allow your word to be active in our lives and we would just listen to what you have to say to us today, Lord. We thank you so much just for your son and how his death allows us to have access to you, God. And it's in your great name we pray. Amen. So like I said, guys, we're continuing on in our study of the book of Philippians. And so uh, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been seeing how Paul has been encouraging the Philippian church. He's been encouraging the members of that community by a variety of different ways uh, that they can not only... Uh, just be more attached to their relationship with Christ but also how they can build upon it how they become more like Christ with each and every day uh, you know whether this be through a being of the same mind like he lists in chapter 2 verse 2 or letting their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ in chapter 1 verse 27 and even reminding them that to live is Christ and to die is gain uh, like he says in chapter 1 verse 21. And so we can see that Paul is almost like preparing this great feast for the Philippian church, a great spiritual feast of things that they can take in and they can be nourished by. And I know it's probably not a stretch to imagine a great feast because a lot of us are going to be preparing for that this week. And so we have this grand table set. And then as we studied last week with Pastor James, you know, we're introduced to this man, Timothy, who's coming to the church that Paul is sending And then we also are introduced to Epaphroditus. So we're introduced to because the Philippian church already knows this man. He's already someone who is an active member in their community. So you can kind of think of these two guys as the coffee and dessert of this meal that he's preparing. Because they're going to be two very influential people that are coming along to not only be examples of what uh, believers should be, but how they should act, how they should speak, what kind of mindset they should have. And Paul knows this, and he knows that these are good leaders because he's worked alongside of them for the past few years. He's established churches with them. He's gotten to know their relationship with Christ over time. And so we know that these are guys that are very uh, well trusted in the, in the community, and so he knows that this is a great time to send them. And so like I said, uh, last week we have been saying that uh, Epaphroditus was more than likely the person who brought this letter back to the Philippian church. And the reason he's being sent back, or the reason why he's being sent to Paul in the first place, let me start there, is actually because of what we read in chapter 4, verse 18. You see, Paul is saying, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent, a fragrant offering A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So the Philippian church probably knew about Paul's imprisonment in Rome. He's under house arrest at the time. And so they want to make sure that they're providing to Paul in any way they possibly can. So everyone got together, all the church members and even the college kids who probably had five dollars collectively at the time. They put that all together and they sent Epaphroditus, this man that Paul would have known very well. And they sent this gift off. So that way Paul could be benefited at the time. And the church, you know, saw this opportunity. But at the same time, they probably recognized that this is a great sacrifice to them. Because while they're sending Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus is someone in the church who is a very influential leader. He's someone who works very hard. You know, nowadays, if we were to send a pastor off or send a church leader off to do a mission trip it's not going to be too much of a sacrifice because they can easily come back within a week's time or, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is their flight may be delayed or they miss their Uber to the, to the airport or whatever the case may be. But for, but for Epaphroditus, he would have had to travel from Philippi to Rome. And more than likely, once he got there, Paul would have had more mission work for him to complete for him while he was under house arrest. And so Epaphroditus would have had to go out and complete those tasks for him. And then once Epaphroditus was done with that, he would have had to travel from wherever he was back to Philippi. And so this is looking like at least a half year to a year, even more, depending on the amount of time and travel it would have taken, it would have taken Epaphroditus. So it's a great sacrifice already, and as we look at the passage, we see that he's a man that has a lot of great qualities that you would want to see in a church later. And you know, it's, it's good, it's important to know that Paul is sending Epaphroditus back because of these qualities, because of his character in Christ, because he knows that Epaphroditus is going to continually impact the church that he's a part of. He's going to influence them and strengthen them. And we also kind of get a glimpse into Epaphroditus' character at this time, because all of these qualities are, are great and they're, they're outstanding for anyone to have. But for Epaphroditus, these are qualities that he didn't just want to have so he can deserve human praise whenever he walked into the church each day or each week or whenever he went. But instead, they were qualities that he wanted to have so that way he could continually show people how God was working in him and how he could influence the church based on those qualities. You see, the more he dedicated himself, dedicated himself to the church, the more he was able to build on those qualities and those gifts. And he could pour back into the church in any way he could. You see, his reason for returning each week was the love that he had for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And this may sound a little cheesy, so bear with me here, but he knew that there was unity in community and that this wasn't an area that could be missed. You see, each trait that he has or that Paul lists shows a different reason why Epaphroditus was dedicated to his church. You know, he's listed as a brother and if you have that image of mind of being a brother you know it's someone who that you can rely on it's someone that you can trust with you know anything that's going on in your life someone who's going to be there and be a friend and he's also dedicated to the duty and responsibilities of the church whether that be physical labor whether it be spiritual whether it be you know going to church meetings or uh, help serving the community he was a worker he knew that he needed to work so that the gospel message and that the love that the church had could be spread out into the community. And Paul even lists the quality of being a soldier. Now, I love that description, that quality that he says that Epaphroditus has because if you have the mindset of a soldier, if you think about a soldier, you know they're given a mission, they're given a task to complete and they're going to do their best, they're going to press on no matter the circumstance to get that job done. And in addition to all this, Epaphroditus knew how he could pour back into his community through spreading the gospel by being a messenger and a minister. He knew how he could meet the spiritual needs of those around him. And I love, especially in my Bible, I don't know about yours, but in my Bible, none of these qualities are capitalized. You know, they're not official titles Epaphroditus would have had in the church. You know, it would have been kind of weird if we were to go to the Philippian church back in the day and someone would have said, You know, hey, have you met Epaphroditus, our church soldier? Like, it'd be kind of weird. Like, it'd be a little off. And so Paul points out these specific traits in Epaphroditus, not only so that he can be an example to those who are striving to be just like that in the faith, but he's also a figurehead. He's also someone that the church can rely on. They can say, oh, no, we can go to Epaphroditus, and we can trust that he's a man who's built up in the work of Christ. He's dedicated to the mission that Christ left for us. And so that way we can trust that he's going to pour back into us or he can pour back into the community. give you guys another little story about myself. Uh, Back when I was in my middle school, intermediate school years, uh, my parents actually sent me to a great overnight camp in the mountains here of North Carolina. I went for five summers and this camp had everything. It was really more of a resort than anything. Because we stayed in really nice air-conditioned cabins, we had, you know, horseback riding, we had archery, archery, we had golf, we had pretty much any outdoor activity you can think of, and so each summer I went, I was super excited to go back, uh, and then once I was reaching the age limit, I was told that hey, you can actually come back the next summer and be a counselor in training. I was like, great, I would love to come back at least for one more summer and you know at least get to improve myself and my leadership skills, but when I Got to when I came back to camp that next summer and I was in that leadership position, at the time I didn't realize I really wasn't ready to be in that leadership position because I still wanted to have fun experiences. I still wanted to have the enjoyment of being a camper. I still wanted to take from the environment that I was in, instead of understanding my position now, or understanding the leadership role I'd stepped into, of you know, pouring back into those around me, pouring back into the campers who Were there maybe for the first time, or maybe it was more of their third or fourth, but anyways, I probably didn't leave them with the best experience after they left. You see, it's easy to want to lead, and it's easy to want to step into a leadership role, whether it be in a church, whether it be outside in your job, or wherever it may be. But if we don't have the right mindset, or if we don't have the right intentions of wanting to improve upon the place that we're in, or if we don't you know, make sure that we're influencing people with Christ and that be our mindset each day. We can often harm the environment that we are around and we can maybe make it even a worse place than where we started off with it. But this isn't the case for Epaphroditus because while the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to Paul with that monetary gift, you know, with the intentions of, hey, like here's a man that you can use and send off any other mission trip that you may have, Paul is actually sending Epaphroditus back in the same way of Epaphroditus being the gift now, saying, "You know what? You guys need this man in your lives right now, so that way he can invest in you. He can be someone who, as we've been talking about in all these other different parts of my letter, you know, Epaphroditus can be that example that you go to." And as we look on in uh, verses 27 and 28, we understand that Epaphroditus was ill, very ill, close to death, but it's not what kind of sickness is most important, but what's important is the way that Paul is asking the Philippian church to respond to that sickness for. You see, Paul's not disregarding the fact that the situation was bad and that it did happen, but instead he's asking the church, he says, you know what, even, all, even though all this bad stuff was happening, let's still remember to praise God through it all. And I even love how honest he is with the church in this letter you know in uh, verse 27 he even says uh, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow if Epaphroditus passes you know if this man if this brother I have in Christ does go it is going to really affect me because I'm already in prison I can't go out and visit all the other churches and now this person almost died and he displays honesty and emotion to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that's something that we may miss a lot of the times in modern, cult, in modern day church because whenever situations happen outside the walls of the church or even inside the walls of the church, we often tend to scatter our own different ways so that we can deal with the situation, whether it be you know, a global pandemic, whether it be a national incident, whether it be an issue of race or a presidential election, whatever it may be, we often tend to scatter and go our own different ways. So that way we can deal with the situation ourselves. And we kind of figure out, you know, you know how do I feel uh, the church should react to this? Instead of coming together and saying like, hey, you know, we're the body of Christ. We need to unify together. So that way we can make sure that the one, the gospel is preached first. But then two, we can understand how we can deal with this as a church together. And Paul even has a very crucial conjunction in verse 27. You know, he says that Epaphroditus was ill and near to death. And then he says, but God. And I think this conjunction is so important, not only to the Philippian church at the time, but for us. Because, you know, he's acknowledging the situation at hand. But he's saying, but God was in the situation too. You know, he was there. He still is. And so we can think about that today and we can bring that into our own lives and our mindset of the church and say you know this year is not at all what we had planned but god is still working in the midst of our church but god is still on a move but god is stronger than our circumstances you know the church was unified in its mission to serve the leaders of the church they were unified in their ideas to go and serve paul And so Paul did not want to waste the opportunity to allow the Philippian church to come together and, you know, praise God, even though the circumstances were dire. And there's another thing that Paul wanted to address in this passage. He wanted the church to understand not only did Epaphroditus have these qualities that God had given them, these gifts, but he wanted to show them that Epaphroditus was someone who still thought about The church, and you still someone who thought about the, the to have the same mind, to have Christ's likeness, even in the worst situation. Now, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I even have like a minor cough or like a just a bad headache, I'm kind of out for the day. Like I really don't want to do anything. I'm kind of useless, in all honesty. But for Epaphroditus, this illness, this very deathly ill illness that he had. It almost seems like an inconvenience because through it all, through that time, he was able to say and he was able to have the mindset of, I'm still going to think about my church. And how many times do we allow ourselves or we allow the inconveniences of the situations in our life push back the goal that we should all have together of wanting to serve our community, wanting to invest time in our church? That's something I have to struggle with. Almost every week, you know, like, I want more sleep this week. Or, you know, I went to church four times in a row, four weekends in a row. I should have some time myself. Not for Epaphroditus. You know, he still prayed for his church and he still showed that Christ likeness. You know, even even Jesus, the night before he was about to be hung on a cross and before he was about to be humiliated in public, before he was about to have his clothes gambled on, before he was about to be beaten. Before he was about to take on the weight of sin that we have in our lives and sacrifice that, he still prayed for his church. He still thought about the believers and the men and the women who were walking alongside of him at the time. And he still thought about you guys today. He still thought about, you know what, the situation I'm in is not ideal, but I'm going to carry it through because I have a love that cannot be extinguished just by my circumstance. You know, Epaphroditus, he wanted more than nothing else to get back to his, his church, get back to the people who he loved each and every week. And I believe that's why we all want to get back to the way things were before 2020 started. You know, we have that natural desire to be with one another. We have that natural desire to be in relationship with people, friendships, and everything that, that stems from that. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to realize we have. It's a gift that God has given us because that allows us to naturally come together and worship together and serve together and just honor Christ through everything that we get to do together. And the last thing that Paul is showing through Epaphroditus' mindset while under this illness is that, you know, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, even though Epaphroditus was away from his church, even though he was miles away from the physical location, he still wanted to make sure that he was of the spiritual mindset. He still wanted to make sure that he was connected with them in some way, that he could still be beneficial to the people who he had left behind. He still wanted to maintain that, that unity that had been given to him through Christ. And as, we, as we move on into verses 29 and 30... Uh, we can see that Paul is giving some instructions to the Philippian church as, as Epaphroditus is returning. You see, he says, receive Epaphroditus, receive him and the Lord with all joy. They're saying, you know, celebrate the fact that Epaphroditus is back. It's a good thing. This is something that the whole church has been waiting for, and now he's coming back early. That's exciting. But then there's a part two to the, uh, to the instruction that he has for them. And he says, not only celebrate that Epaphroditus is back, but honor such men. And what he means by this is, not only should you celebrate this leader who you have and that you get to celebrate life with and you get to uh, you know, follow under, but honor the people who are living out their lives in accordance to the same way Epaphroditus is and that they're serving their church each and every week and they're being an influential leader in the lives of people that you may not see. You know, it's, it's easy sometimes for us to celebrate the men and women who are on staff here. And that's great. Like, uh, like I said, during the summer, I got to see all the work that each staff member and each elder member poured into and like, all of the time that they invest so that they can build this church up and make it as great as it is. But we can't forget the people who are called to different areas of the church and are called to ways that we may not be called to. You know, we should honor our tech team. We should honor the people who sing on our worship team each week. Honor the life kids and volunteers. You know, lift them up as well. So I want you guys to take a moment right now and look to the person to your right, to your left, behind you, in front of you, wherever you may be. And I want you guys to remember that that person is someone who is uniquely gifted by God to serve the church in such a powerful way. So honor them lift them up build relationships with them because it would be such a shame if we left church today and we didn't realize how much of an impact that that person can be on our lives or how we can impact that person or how together we can come to serve the church in ways that we didn't think possible or in ways that we were kind of hesitant to but we can encourage each other to serve or to continue to serve if you feel like you're in a drought and a spiritual drought in your season of life. You see, Christianity is not meant to be an individualistic mission that we go on by ourselves. But it's one where we all come together and we celebrate how God is moving in our lives, how he's moving in the lives around us, and how he's moving in the community that we have. And I'll be honest, guys, I, I can't tell you how many times I have missed out on the opportunity to get to know someone or to invest in an area of ministry or to to just simply worship alongside my brothers and sisters in Christ because I only saw church as an opportunity to serve whatever desire I had in my life at the time, whether that be through an academic standpoint, whether it be through just trying to be there with friends, or whether it be just to say that I went to church that week. And so as we wrap up our time together, it would be really easy to say, you know, we should all be like Epaphroditus. Be a brother, be a worker, be a soldier, be a messenger, be a minister. And for some of us, that would be a really easy thing to do. That would be a very easy transition for us to get into or get into the rhythm of. But for some of us, we may not know where to start or we may not know what that means or how we can even go about that. So, what we can say is that we can model our lives after Epaphroditus in that, first and foremost, he was a believer in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he lived his life in accordance with the gospel. And he sought to do the work that Jesus had left for his followers. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ today, I invite you just to kind of be thinking about that and to really really know that you know there are things that you come to church for. And you may not like those reasons anymore, but once you begin that relationship with Jesus, it's a lot easier to make that transition and understand why it's important for us to come each week and you see through Epaphroditus' faith and relationship with Jesus he was able to naturally grow in his love and appreciation for his church and the people in it and that's why he desired to love them and serve them in any way he could and we see this dedication that he wanted to get back to his church as quickly as possible when he was sick he thought about his church He loved the people in it so much that that was all he had in his mind when he was still. You see, church, we don't have to be perfect church people because we're never going to be that. No matter what standard you may have in your head or what you think society may have in your head as far as a perfect church person is, we should abandon that because we're never going to have that in our lives. We're never going to meet that status quo. But when we're continually deepening our relationship with Jesus— We start to draw draw closer to his desires, and some of those important desires are unity, community, and the love that we have for each other in the church. And not only that, not only when we understand those things, but we also start to change our mindset to or from, you know, what can I get out of church to where can I invest in the church, and how can I serve with those who are around me? Let's pray, guys. Father God, we just want to come before you now and repent, Lord, if we've had this idea of church that is not in tune to what yours is, Lord. Lord, we're called to serve you, and we're called to serve those around us, and we're called to preach the gospel in every single thing that we do. So I pray that, God, today relationships would be formed, uh, friendships would be mended, and that we would all understand that, God, that We are the church body. We're not the church separated, but we are together united under one mission to serve you, Lord. We thank you for everyone in this room who is gifted by you, who is going to serve your kingdom in such a powerful way and is going to uniquely experience a relationship with you unlike anyone else. We thank you, Lord, and it's your great name we pray. Amen.